at SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Okay, so I mentioned earlier to you that our theme today really will be centered around education and your number one concerns around education. I think at the center of it is you, you the parent, you who is worried about your child and so on. You are central to this conversation. So I want you to take the opportunity to call in with your concerns. And I'll tell you why this is important because I must say, um, during this period, this COVID-19 period, what I've, what I've found about our government is its agility has been really impressive. And I do get the sense that there is a listening government that we've got at the moment. So it's very important for you to raise your concerns because there are things, as you've seen, as regulations have been changing, they change because we raise something, okay? So I know that they're not here to represent themselves at the moment, but I know that they're listening. They're listening, they take it in, and then before you know it, you'll see some tweaks here and there. So your voice at this point is extremely important. So do start dialing in with whatever it is that you've heard, the confusions that you have, and the concerns you have, and what you think should be happening going forward. 0891104207. I've got a full panel. Okay, I've got Basil Manuel, who is Executive Director at a National Professional Teachers Organization of South Africa. Welcome, Basil, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Pleasure to be with you. Nomosa Glembi, who is a Satu Media Officer as well, joins us. Uh, Nomosa, thank you so much for joining us and making the time. Good afternoon, Pamela. Good, na- good afternoon good af- to your listeners. Good afternoon. And Renee McFarlane, who is a co-head of research at Equal Education. Renee, also, thank you so much for joining the panel. Thanks, Pamela. Let me start with you, actually, Renee. Um, You understand this landscape, and I'm going to start with you because I think you represent civil society in general. From what we know so far, what are your concerns? You know, there are a number of concerns, and I'm sure everyone on the call shares many of these concerns. I think the first thing to say is that The department's communication strategy has been incredibly confusing on the reopening of schools. And I think this has caused a lot of anxiety and confusion amongst parents, teachers and learners. People maybe not be in the province where they go to school or teach and be confused about when they need to travel back or how. Uh, All of these questions, I think, could have been dealt in a way that has that could have caused less uh, confusion. And unfortunately, we still don't have clarity on exactly when schools will reopen, Mm. although it seems that the date the department is going with at the moment is that learners will return to school uh, on the 1st of June. Our major concern is how on earth the education system will be ready to reopen schools in a way that is safe for learners but also for teachers and communities, because we know that schools become a way uh, for a, a vir- could become a way for the virus to spread also uh, to communities as learners go home. And obviously, uh, there's also a threat to teachers. The department has made a number of proposals, mm. and while in principle they sound like good proposals, they haven't communicated clearly the practicality of how how those plans will be implemented. And just to give you one example, mm. 
They say that they will uh, ensure social distancing through renting additional classroom spaces Mm -hmm. and uh, acquiring additional teachers. But it's completely unclear how, if up to now, the department has been unable to uh, have sufficient teachers in the system for our ordinary requirements and sufficient classrooms for uh, our our day-to-day needs, how suddenly they are going to be able to get all these additional teachers on board and all these uh, additional classroom spaces. Mm-hmm. There are many other concerns that I can talk about. Yep. I'll, I'll pause for there for now. Yeah, we've got we've got quite some time, so let's let's pause there. Nomosa, you know, uh, Renee is asking a question about, for instance, resources. Should we take it for granted? And you would know this because you're engaging specifically for on the behalf of the teachers. Should we? assume that suddenly there are funds and so on available because there is a relief fund? Is that what's the story there? It's very hard to say where the funds will come from. We hope that from those relief funds something may may happen but it has not been clear as to where the funds will, will, will come from. Mm. But the department has committed that these things will happen. It is well and good on paper what we are worried about is that we are not seeing anything happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. Up until now, we do not see everything because we said earlier on, we said we'd like to see these things taking place or being there at least two two weeks before schools open. Up until now, there is hardly <clears throat> nothing in any school that you can see that it is preparing for this. For, for schools to open. Basil, as well, you have been engaging the department quite a bit. I know that behind the scenes there, there is a lot of back and forth, your proposals as well on the table. Are you convinced that this can be pulled off? Uh, no, I have serious doubts. Look, we put down as a collective of unions uh, our so-called uh, non-negotiables. Mm. These have been embraced by the department. Mm. But as uh, Renee was saying at the beginning, um, the, the broad brush strokes painted by the minister didn't give the detail on how these things will be achieved. But in fairness to her, ministers don't give the finer details. Yeah. They normally come out in, in various documents, protocols and regulations and so on. But those are, are absent. Those are lacking at the moment. We don't know, for example, how we will replace teachers, how we will employ additional staff, uh, cleaning staff, that is, how we are going to access the need for additional classrooms. If I'm in a school that is uh, vastly overcrowded, over, um, how am I going to do that? How are we going to access the toilets? Because suddenly we are going to be providing uh, port-a-loo type toilets uh, because the pit latrines are, are obviously uh, very unhygienic. But these are all statements that were made and uh, suggestions that they will be achieved and when you look at the time frames, uh, logic says to me that it's going to be a very, very tight one. However, uh, from our perspective, we are saying, look, our move has now been the one from demanding at first to one now that says now we need to hold to account and we need to see that delivery takes place. And, of course, we've got to give an opportunity for that to happen, which should be happening now as we speak. But already, as Namusa said, we don't see much happening. We don't see things happening on the ground. And uh, the National Department must not uh, give up 
or abdicate its responsibility by letting the, the provinces start setting the agenda mm. in terms of the regulations, etc. These are national regulations under which the provinces must work. If the provinces set the agenda, then we are going to find very different things from one province to the next. But the order is it's, uh, But, um, Basil, that's not new with regards to education. We've seen the disconnect no, no. between the provinces. It, it happens all the time. Um, Gauteng the other day was presenting their plans about what they want to do. So that's very likely to be the case. A- at this point, then, who do we look to for... I mean, I know who's guiding the national policy, but in terms of action on the ground, what should we be seeing right now? Should the province be leading that action on the ground? Well, it can only happen in the provinces because provinces are the are the point of delivery. Yeah. But it is the national department that has to set the direction. They have to determine the norms and standards. And this we haven't seen in writing yet. That mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Take, for example... Just one simple thing about uh, teachers who have comorbidities or, or alternatively are over the age of 60. Yes, How yes. are we determining this? We need direction so that every province does the same thing because this is a labor matter and you can't treat one group differently to another. Renee, I'm, can somebody please help me? Maybe it's not you, but all of you. I'm really, really confused about, let's first of all start with the, the grade seven thing. I know it's a grade seven and I think it's metric. I I need clarity. Help me out. I'm very confused. Are we saying that it's only the grade sevens that will be prioritized right now to go back to school or am I, have I got it completely wrong? Um, A plan that was put forward by uh, the Department of Basic Education uh, says that grade sevens and grade twelves will yes. be the first to return to school, mm-hmm. and currently the proposed date is the first of June. Mm. But that date hasn't been confirmed finally because the National Command Council has asked the department to put certain uh, checks and balances in place and to come back to them before the date can be finalized and gazetted. Um, so it's still uh, hanging in the air. The department has also published dates for other grades to be phased in, but they have, the minister has been quite clear that until they feel that the system is ready to accommodate additional grades, they won't phase in additional gr- um, grades. The focus on grade 7 and grade 12 obviously comes from the fact that uh, you have a a class coming in, in a, uh, at the beginning of primary school and the beginning of high school, and you need the last grade in primary school and the last grade in high school to move on in the next year for that to be possible. So that's why there's this big uh, focus on uh, grade 7 to have to move to high school and grade 12 to have to move to tertiary education or to post-school opportunities. Um, but obviously that has important implications for everyone else yeah, yeah. whose grades are not phased in. Yeah. And also for the grade 12s who, if the department's plan, which is currently to cover everything that was in the curriculum originally, mm. it will be an incredibly stressful and pressured time for them. 
Okay, from the teacher's point of view, this this decision around uh, grade 7 and grade 12, this country is obsessed about grade 12, so I get it, I won't <laughs> ask the question. But but the grade 7s as opposed to grade 1s, for argument's sake. Your 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 thoughts on that, Nomosa? Um, I would echo what Renee said. It's because it's a, it's an end of a, of a primary mm. uh, it, uh, 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 school going into a secondary school. We believe perhaps yes. it, 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 it has got to do with that, yeah. that um, they, they are fin- finishing from another um, uh, 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 phase to, 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 a next, to, to a next phase, uh, which is moving from a, sec- a primary school to a secondary school. Okay. All right, Basil, you also quite uh, comfortable with that and it makes perfect sense to you? It does make sense on one level. It is the next phase that worries me because in terms of what is published, it will then go to grade 11 and grade 6, which is absolute nonsense. We need to, to, to be more educationally sound in the decisions we take. Grade 1s and grade 9s are far more important because grade 9s are ending a phase. Mm. They have to make subject choices that will carry them through for the entire lives. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get them back into schools after the matriculants, they won't have enough time to make credible choices. And then we are going to find trouble when they get to grade 11 and grade 12. Similarly, our grade 1s, if we don't get them to read and write and count Mm. in grade one now, Mm. let us not assume that they can pick it up in grade two. Mm -hmm. They can't. The teachers are different. The the grade two teacher is is a consolidator Mm. more than an initiator of reading, of of counting, etc. And it's an important distinction. If you haven't walked in those passages, you actually don't realize how important the distinction is. So I'm, I'm fine with the grade 7 and 12, but I'm also worried about what will the next groups be. I must say, part of the reason why I bring it up for, for all of you is I really, really think that there is, and this is changing, I must admit, lately in the past three years, I've heard a different language coming through from the department, but I think, I'm, I'm afraid we're going back a little bit, where those, those initial phases um, grade one, two, and three—they—they they always seem to be on the back foot, and in terms of our priority, that concerns me. Does anybody else have the same sentiments? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I want to embrace that view. You know, I think even if you look at the broad plan, yeah. which talks to. Uh, grade R and grade 1 mm. coming back in July, mm. um, mid-July. That is, that is preposterous because, in fact, the grounding is what is important. Mm. If we don't get kids to read and write early enough, they suffer through the entire yeah. schooling. Yeah. But besides, there's a social aspect, too, because we can't leave small kids at home mm. whilst all the big children are in school. So... <laughs> Another issue that I'm that that confuses me a little bit with regards to the plan and and I hear everybody and what they're saying in the event that this plan does only really serve the grade sevens and matrics. I'm not sure how do we know how we're going to deal with the rest of the other classes that either need to be retained where they are or move forward that succession plan. Does it has it made sense to any one of you? Because I'll I'll give you an example. So so a child who's in matric now, and and has to move forward because we've given focus to them and that's fantastic. They're, that's great. 
we've sorted that out. But between grade eight and grade nine, those two classes, what's our plan? Because either they're going to move ahead, which I suspect is probably not going to happen, but the grade sevens who are given attention will then move to grade eight. Mm. So what's going to happen to the grade eight group? Are we going to now be sitting with double the amount of children because we were given focus to grade seven and grade eight were kind of not quite part of the plan? Remember, it's almost impossible yeah. to retain any mm. grade as a whole group. Yeah. Mm. Remember that you get a million children into a grade yeah. every year. Yeah. There's a million grade ones that come in yeah. because we have approximately 13 million children in the system. That's about a million mm. per grade, mm. uh, plus minus a few more. So you can't retain a grade as a whole. Mm. Now, there are a couple of things we have to do. We've got to think out of the box. And already, uh, Nomusa will tell you as well that we are very busy trying to uh, look at the curriculum and trying to trim the curriculum, so to speak, mm. so that we, we make what we have teachable because we have time to catch up with some of those things that are core and then of course there are those things that are extension issues mm. that we don't really have to do and I believe uh, it would be foolhardy of us not to even not to look at the matric uh, group as well mm. I believe as somebody said I, I think it was Renee that said it's going to be an extremely pressurized year mm. it is impossible to have two months uh, out of school mm. and then try and catch up. You can't make up time. Oh. All you're going to do is stress out a whole lot of people. You're going to stress out teenagers who are, as mm. a, 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 mm. as, as a norm, mm. quite uh, stressed out already with mm. matric. And this pushes a number of them over the edges. Mm. And we don't want such things to happen. We've got to look very carefully and think very carefully about how mm. we adjust the curriculum. Ngalanga, you calling us from Durban. Good afternoon. You You want to weigh in? Yes, uh, I wanted to hear from, oh, good afternoon, Pimelo, and good to afternoon. the uh, panelists. Uh, I wanted to check with your panelists as to what they have view on the proposal by uh, Jonathan uh, Chansen that the year must be called off, only allow uh, the matriculants to write and pass all the other things. Nomosa, let's start with you. It is, that proposal is going to make things uh, difficult that we can uh, just let uh, learners, uh, everyone to pass. Uh, we have been saying, I mean, um, teams have been hard at work looking at the curriculum to say, what is it in the curriculum that we can do without? To change the curriculum, to look at the crucial things that we, that need to be, to, that, that learners need to, to learn per grade. So that we can we can condense those things and make sure that learners uh, learners uh, you know with the, with with the time that is left we focus on these so that they can they 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 can at least gain something and 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 move to the to the next level. It would be impossible for for just for all all, all the learners to be put through. To, to to the next level without having uh, like um, uh, 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 
teaching them a, a bit and, and, and focusing on the crucial things that, that they have to learn in order to move to the next level. Renee, I've got a, a tougher question for you because you've been on this for, for years and years now. Um, from what the minister was saying was that, you know, at the moment there's preparation. I know all of you are saying you haven't seen anything on the ground, but she said that there is. That's fine. Let's let's just say there is, okay? And the, one of the things she also said was that in the event that a school is not prepared, in other words, there is no sanitation or water and all of those things, that school will not be allowed to open. Now, I'm specifically speaking to you, Renee, because you've done a lot of work in understanding those complexities and how many of those schools and children actually fall out of that system. And I'm concerned again that we are back to disenfranchising those who don't have. Your concerns, Renee? I mean, we were very, very concerned by that suggestion that you'll almost have a phase in opening of schools depending on when which school is ready. Um, It's not clear exactly what the minister meant, but, you know, and it wasn't clear how that would be rolled out. But the suggestion that you'd have some schools that are ready to open and some schools that are not Mm. is a very concerning suggestion because Mm. we know that the schools who are best at delivering learning at home, who are most likely to have success in teaching during this time, is also the schools that are most likely to be ready to reopen first. And those are the schools that largely serve privileged communities. And so now you have a situation where schools that have been systemically underserved by government um, and left behind in terms of sanitation, in terms of water, in terms of um, electricity, in terms of classrooms, now and in terms of ability to teach online and those things, mm. um, on our also the schools that will be um, uh, allowed to open last. Mm. So we have have said that the department must do everything in its power to provide adequate uh, support and resources to the schools that are most disadvantaged. Mm. And once it can say that it has provided that, that we should move towards uh, opening schools. But mm-hmm. the suggestion that those schools that have been let down by the department will now also mm-hmm. be the ones that are left last to open is, is a very concerning um, idea. I'm going to come back to you with after the headlines and ask maybe all of you, then who at that point do we hold accountable? Because it is also our responsibility to worry about that child who has been in a school where there is no sanitation. I worry that if our position is to leave them behind and actually openly say that, that I think we are not doing our bit and raising our voices enough. So let me just ask if you can all pause for me, please, as I go to the headlines because it is that time and I do see you Peter I'll come back to you after the headlines it's 2.30 let me go to Udzile Sako for the very latest in headlines Pimelo Mutine on SAFM
Thank you all for staying with us. Uh, we are having a conversation around education. We know that the Minister of Basic Education gave us a vague idea of what the plan is going forward. Of course, it was not a final plan. She says they need a bit more time and they'll come back to us. So we're just at the moment just assessing what's possible, what's not possible. I'm speaking to various stakeholders. Basil Manuel is the Executive Director at the National Professional Teachers Organization of South Africa. Nomosatli Mbi is at Satu, media officer as well there. And uh, Renee McFarlane is a co-head of research at uh, Equal Education. And really, we also welcome your views on this because it affects you directly. 0891-104-207 is the number to dial. And we we are trying to look at it holistically. And and as I said earlier, when I started, I said, your voice is so important at this point. I've, I've never seen government more responsive to people's voices. It's a good thing. I hope it stays that way. So... At the moment, raise your concerns. Let all of us make sure that we are heard so that maybe we could see some changes where we need to see those changes. Um, I'll, I'll come back to you, um, any one of you, maybe Renee, because you had started this conversation. My concern is, as I'm concerned about that child who is um, going to a school with a pit latrine with no water, where do I then take my frustration? If I've already heard the government say, well, those schools will have to wait until we're ready. And yet on the one hand, I'm hearing the Department of Water and Sanitation saying we are delivering water to every single person who needs it. There's a bit of a disconnect there. So who should I be sending my concerns to about the prioritizing that child and having access to education with no water and sanitation? I do think you raised an important point earlier on about the role of provincial education departments because we've heard from some of them, but we haven't heard clear plans from all of them. And as we know, learners who are likely to be most affected by, for instance, the lack of sanitation or toilets and water are learners in our rural provinces. Mm-hmm. And those are also the provinces that we haven't heard mm-hmm. that much uh, mm-hmm. about. So, and, and with the current situation, we're finding in a lot of briefing meetings and so forth are happening online. So there's a bit more room for people who might not be able to, for instance, travel to a uh, Eastern Cape legislature meeting mm. to tune in and get a sense of what um, what plans departments are putting forward. So I do think we need to keep the pressure on provincial education departments to communi- to start communicating clearly about what is actually in place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to say we're going. There are these many schools that don't have toilets, but it's another thing to say. We've now made these plans to deliver these this amount of toilets to these schools, you know. The the details need to come from the provincial departments and I, I really think there's there's room to put pressure on them to start being clear about those plans. Mm. Peter, you're calling us from Pumalanga. Good afternoon and thank you so much for your patience. Yes, good afternoon, Kimel and to your SFM listeners and also to the panels. Mm. I'd like actually to interject in, especially with what you have been discussing and your concern. Mm -hmm. Currently, all the intervention that is being done Mm -hmm. is actually helping the people who are in the advanced and Mm -hmm. favored groups. Mm -hmm. It is not helping the people on the ground. Mm -hmm. Imagine most of those learners might not even have a TV. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And they're expected to attend lessons mm. on the TV. Mm. And imagine even if you have one TV, yeah. there are kids. Imagine they have five years, four years, two yeah. years. Yeah. How do you expect that child yeah. to learn? Yeah. Learning is done at a conducive environment. Mm-hmm. So all these resources that the government is trying to push mm. to assist is not assisting the poorest of the poorest. Absolutely. It's only advancing people who already have the access and the resources to actually learn. Mm. My suggestion is let the term continue without classes. Mm. When it comes to a point when the disease is now controlled, everybody starts at that term, mm. and there will be no issue of somebody going to a next class and the other one not going. Mm. So let the, school, let the government just keep these resources for next intervention. Let us see the cause of the disease until it comes to a day that the learners can go to class. Mm. Then you go to your same term. Mm. If we have covered term one, everybody goes to term two, including the university. Mm -hmm. Then there will be no gap in any class. Mm. Peter, thank you so much for your call. Nomosa, what's your response to that? Uh, First of all, to go back to the issue of provinces and and, and national. Yes, Yes, um, uh, we have now and again, year, year after year, there's been pressure on province on provinces to do, uh, you know, to provide the resources. I feel we feel that it, it is high time that uh, the national department, because we are facing with this endemic, which is being um, uh, 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 looked after at a national level. Yes. We, feel, uh, we feel the department, uh, the, the national department, should do should should should, should um, uh, uh, simply, you know. Uh, 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 not rely much on, on provinces because provinces have failed us now and again. It is high time that we feel that the national department should 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 really uh, be more hands-on as to what is happening because the national department always, always say they do not have the power is to the provinces. But at the same time, you find that yeah. inequalities continue. Provinces that are poorer become more poor. It is high time that if the national department is serious about the education of this country as a whole, because we we, we are not a federal, we are a unitary state. Mm. We cannot be uh, relying on provinces. National should take over so that we have uniformity in the country. You make such an interesting point, Nomosa, and I'm going to ask you, Basil, to just maybe uh, think about that and then come back to me with a response, because one of the reasons that uh, water and sanitation was actually able to act in as fast as it did was for basically because this is a, a, an emergency situation. So we are able to unlock funds from national that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do that. And and again, I'm going to ask you, Basil, to think about it. Then again, I'm back to my question. Who then should we hold accountable for the you know, the access to to school and and resources at that ground level, particularly for those provinces that have not been able to deliver before, as Nomosa says, who have failed the learners. So, Basil, let me just take a quick break and I'll come back to you with that response. Life Happens with Pimelo Modine. 
Well, thank you so much for staying with us. We're having a conversation around what should happen to our basic education system. Uh, We'll have another conversation at another time about what happens at university level and and all of that. But today, really, our focus is basic education. We know that the minister gave us some guidelines, uh, but they're stakeholders who also have an interest and who've also proposed certain things. And I'm speaking to them particularly today because we were not able to reach the actual department. We We know they're very, very busy. But it's... It's, it's also an opportunity for you to raise your concerns. But before we went to the ad break, I was asking Basil Manuel, who represents the National Professional Teachers Organization of South Africa. He's an executive director there about who at this point then should we be holding accountable? Because with other departments, for argument's sake, they were able to justify to us that they've been able to release emergency funds because this is a crisis. So National was able to act, for instance, with sanitation and water because this is an extraordinary kind of time. And yet... At this point, when the minister says, well, those who are not ready will just have to wait, I'm sensing a bit of a disconnect here. Is it not her who should be making sure that those are ready because she then can, at this point, act outside of province? Or am I completely out of line, Basil? Uh, No, you're absolutely correct. Uh, At first, let me say I agree that we cannot have some children back and another group not back. However, coming to your point about the roles and whose role function it is. Mm. Um, I want to agree with a view that says we are in the national disaster. Yes. The National Disaster Management Act allows for certain parts of the Constitution to be held in suspension. Mm-hmm. And that would then allow the national government to act mm. in a particular role. Mm. And this is what we need to do in education because our provinces have failed. But at the moment, the funding lies in the provinces because they have received the money from national treasury. Mm -hmm. And we can only get them to spend it correctly if we centralize the decision-making around the the norms and standards and also the marching orders. Mm -hmm. We've got to ensure that people are doing the same thing. Otherwise, these great disparities Mm -hmm. continue blossoming in certain provinces. And we know that those are the provinces with the greatest rural populations where these things go poorly. And the judgment of how well a province is doing has nothing to do with its matric results. Some of them are fiddled with because they have failed half of the grade 11s to get good results. So they look good, but they actually are not so good. Having said all of that, Basil, and, and I get I get your train of thought, I still then want to ask then the question, if we still have not been able to deal with the incompetence of provinces, and you're saying the money is now sitting with them, it has been allocated, I get that. I'm again back to we are in an emergency situation. Then someone needs to explain to me to who do I look to to make sure that my niece and my nephew sitting in Hamanskral gets back to school mm. like the child who's sitting in Rosebank? I still need that clarity because if the money you're saying is sitting in province and province has failed, then I still expect the minister who at an emergency level 
can act? Or am I wrong here? Somebody help me out. Absolutely. Look, if you looked at who the public was looking towards yes. when these, all these announcements were being made, they weren't looking to the provinces. They were looking to the national DG. They were looking to the national minister. That's where they expected answers to come from. So the people out there are interested in the minister giving responses. Mm. They're interested in the minister seeing that things happen. That, that is the person that must be held mm. to account. Um. Pamela, can go I come ahead, in go there? Ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I, I just wanted to say that I completely agree with Basil in terms of the fact that one wants to see quite strong direction coming from the national department mm. and also where it is able to that it, uh, you know, gets its hand dirty with delivering some of the infrastructure that's needed. Mm. I guess the one concern is about the national department's capacity to actually roll out uh, and implement. Mm. Uh, it hasn't been that successful with its existing city program, which is the program through which the National Department okay. um, ra- uh, addresses infrastructure backlogs, for mm. instance. Okay. And so I struggle to imagine a situation where you wouldn't at least have the National Department and Provincial Departments working together to deliver um, and some of, of some of the needs, but mm-hmm. I do think a strong national direction makes sense. Okay. I just wanted to add one thing to what you are speaking to, which I think is really important. Over the next couple of weeks, we are really going to need teachers and learners and parents who are on the ground of what they are entitled to in terms of uh, ensuring their and their children's safety mm-hmm. and to support organizations and government to monitor whether that's actually in place mm-hmm. in schools mm-hmm. because um, you don't want a situation where communities aren't informed about their rights and they're sitting in a school that violates the, the safety regulations mm-hmm. and exposes them to unnecessary risk. So all of us have a monitoring responsibility over yeah. the next couple of weeks. Spot on. Sandy, you're calling from KZN. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'd like to, to agree with the earlier caller, Peter, who said... Um, it's, it's probably best that all um, the people go back at, at the beginning of one term, so they all go back together mm-hmm. when everything about COVID has been sorted out. Mm-hmm. And then let's use this opportunity as a period to prepare the schools mm-hmm. that need preparing infrastructurally. You know, like use this as a yep. period to set in the plumbing, I get to you. set in the IT system. Yeah, yeah. This is a perfect opportunity, yeah. I think, that we can put the, those in place. I get you. I get you completely, Sandy. Thanks for that. And and also, I suppose, to add to Sandy's point, this is not one department's problem. We've got other departments that need to collaborate with uh, with education as well. We need, um, you know, the infrastructure itself is not necessarily sitting only with uh, the Department of Education. So, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys agree with Peter and Sandy, but that thought, has it has it has it been discussed thoroughly? Can I come in? Yes, yes sure, Basil. Um, Look, I don't agree with it. Okay. Uh, Primarily because I believe we still have six months left. Okay. But the weakness of the suggestion doesn't lie in how much time we have left. Mm -hmm. It lies in the unknown. Mm -hmm. We don't know how long COVID-19 is going to be with us. I see. What if it is with us for 18 more months? Yeah. 
And then what? Do we suspend yet another year? Mm. No, I believe we have time. We must try and uh, salvage of what, what we can, mm-hmm. but not at the expense of our teachers and our children. Health, but yeah. we certainly can't give up without having attempted. I get exactly what you mean. All right. I will take you. Gary, I see your call. I'll take it in a minute. 891 Let's take, just take this one last quick break. Life, life happens with Pimelo Motine. Hi, Pimelo. It's BBA from Lodi. I think it's advisable for the Department of Education to extend the curriculum to March next year to cover the two months. I think it's impossible for them to try to cover up time. The brain can take so much, especially for kids. Thank you. Hi, good listeners. I think in grade 12s, learners must be guaranteed only for grade 12 with teachers as the government was remunerating for the as the government was remunerating for the lodges for for COVID-19. So I think if they can take those people today, there's be enough. For the other schools, the schools are not ready to open. I'm calling from Limpopo. Thank you. Hello, uh, SAFM and the listeners. Look, men, adults have struggled to stay safe and keep the required distances in open air funerals in funerals now in a closed classroom even if windows are open that is just mass murder so um thank you all for for staying with us i'm in conversation with a panel of uh, education experts and people who are stakeholders in the education environment and really are concerned about our plan going forward um and i'm going to bring them back into the conversation but before we went to the break i did promise to come back to gary gary who's been calling us from durban thanks so much for your patience gary good afternoon how are you man i'm well thank you okay I have a kind of a solution for this education problem, yeah? Yes. Uh, like, for instance, if you get, like, 30 people in a class, mm-hmm. uh, 15 students can come in at about maybe 7 o'clock till about half, half the day, mm-hmm. and the other 15 uh, children can come in from about half the day till the end of the day, and maybe the teacher can pull a double shift, something like that, uh, which the department can compensate them for and pay them for. I'm sure they'll be willing for, for that. Uh, they'll get. They'll need the extra money. Mm. And uh, the police services and authorities can patrol schools and all that and make sure that everything goes well. And uh, yeah, and they can go. They can also use up the the Saturday uh, as well. And mm. maybe have a Sunday off or something that. I'm sure the students will will be willing to do that. And most of the the, the parents are at home. So they can also coordinate this thing and maybe keep the children safe, take them to school and stuff like that, you know? In a perfect world, Gary. Thank you so much for calling in Durban. Sorry? I was saying in a perfect world, that makes perfect sense. I want to ask my panelists if they think that it's possible, uh, that suggestion, and, and how feasible is it? Let me start okay, with you. Okay, one more thing. Yes, sir. W- one, more, one more thing before you let me go. Yes, Gary. Uh, See, I, I, I am a self-employed person. Yes. I do welding. I weld uh, motor vehicles, yes, right? Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, it's like an informal thing. And yes. uh, I do this work from uh, one of my sister's uh, g- little garages, yeah? Yeah. 
and um, I was, like everybody else, I wasn't allowed to work, mm, uh, you know. Mm, mm. So uh, funds are like out, mm. and uh, you know, uh, uh, there's like nothing uh, the mm. government is giving uh, giving us. Like yep. there's no. There's no light at the end of the tunnel for us here. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Gary, we'll pick up on that. I know I know that's concern and we will pick up on that. I promise we will. Let me just close off with my panel here. And, and maybe for me, the biggest question that should be really paramount to all of this discussion is that we, we're speaking about a pandemic. Um, we often talk only about education, but this is now a complex uh, situation because we're not only are we worried about teaching and learning, we're also worried about a serious disease. Are we going to have the capacity to monitor the fact that people are safe, both teachers and children? Let me start with you, Renee. You know, it's a very complex situation. As you say, it really presents very difficult problems and the reality is that there are no ideal solutions Mm. and there are no solutions without risks and so I would say that there's no way to guarantee when we reopen schools that learners and teachers won't be at risk and there won't be risky situations. Mm. The questions we need to ask ourselves is Firstly, how do we minimize that risk and how do we weigh up different risks against each other? Because at the moment, there's also a risk of learners not getting food because the school nutrition program is closed. You know, and we really have to put that to the department that they must do their utmost best to minimize the risk for everyone going back to school. You know how that sits in my stomach? It, it gives me a bit of a knot, that, no. that, that, that idea that um, it's, it's not going to be perfect and we've got to accept the fact that there will be some risks. Nomosa, your comments on that? Yes, we, we, we are in a quite a bad situation. To so go back to what Gary said, um, proposing that uh, classes be split, we have put those proposals forth to the department, yes. but we are saying even if we can have all those proposals, morning classes, afternoon classes, the, what is par- of paramount importance is that we should ensure that uh, our schools or learning institutions are safe first. Mm. Everything is made uh, to ensure that there is maximum, maximum safety in our schools. That's what, we, that's what we are calling for. Teachers are prepared to work on holidays. Teachers are, are prepared to, 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 to go the extra mile. But fa- the safety of both the teachers, learners, and all those who work in our schools should be ensured first. That's what we are calling on the department to do. Nomosa, the question is, do you think we have the capacity to make it possible? We, we are calling on the department to ensure that mm. that is possible okay. because that, 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 that's the basic yeah. thing that, that has to be, that we have to, 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 to see taking place in our school. Basil, the capacity for making it safe for everybody, do you think we are able to do that? Our history tells us that the department has a really poor record of delivering simple things like textbooks. And now we're just talking about a much, much bigger thing in terms of health, safety, and protective equipment, etc. And so one has to be a little more realistic and say, um, we are fearful that it doesn't have the capacity. Mm. But we, are, we live in hope, and we hope and pray that, in fact, they are able to deliver. I myself mm-hmm. am erring on the side of caution, mm. and I am so doubtful but I hope that everybody proves me wrong.
Very sobering thought, and and thank you for your candidness to all of you and and, and your concerns. And we will continue having these conversations because we're obviously not at the end yet. We're all trying to formulate what um, is going to happen and what should be happening. But I really thank you all to uh, for your voices and for for sharing your concerns with us. Renee McFarlane is a co-head research at Equal Education, and Nomosatlimbi is at Satu. She's a media officer there, and Basil Manuel, executive director at the National Professional Teachers Organization of South Africa. Thank you all for your take and and making the time to talk to all of us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.